Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. All right, all right. I feel like I should say that a third time. All right, all right, all right. Come on, y'all. It is a good morning. It is a good morning. I'm telling you, dude, worship has been so good. I know for me it's been really good um, during the last couple weeks. And I think it's just it's amplified by the fact that we're in a message series on praise and, and on worship. And so if you haven't been here for the last couple weeks, I would encourage you, uh, definitely go back to the website. You can go to thejourneychurch.cc. You can check out the website. It is a uh, website there with all sorts of messages over the last year, but particularly the series that we're in right now, The Effects of Praise. And so I'm going to do a quick recap for you guys, do a little flyover for you for the last two weeks that we've been talking about. So in, in week one, I spent time talking about the praise effect, that, that the fact is that our praise ripples through time. Much like you would take a, a pebble and you would throw a pebble into a pond. What happens when you throw a pebble into the pond, church? What happens? It ripples out. And you can watch those ripples go all the way across the pond. Well, see, your praise does the same thing. I use the, the term the, uh, uh, the butterfly effect. You know, butterfly effect says the way a butterfly flaps his wings today changes the direction of a tornado three weeks from now. Now, I don't know how true that is, but I know the principle applies. And the principle is this, that small changes can have big effects. Amen? Small changes can have big effects. If you want to start losing weight, and I'm not looking at anybody. Lord knows I'm not. I promise. If you want to start losing weight, making a small change, I got to look up like this, because sure enough, somebody will say afterwards, why'd you look at me? I didn't. If you want to lose weight, small changes. Cut out sugar. Come on, right? Small changes. <laughs> I knew it was happening. Small changes. You want to garner new friends? Just do a small change. When you see people, instead of, instead of looking like you have a scowl on your face, instead of like someone, you know, stole something from you, I want you to smile. Just smile. It does a lot. I need to work on that. I do. Small changes can have big effects. And we looked at this. We talked about the, the definition of the word praise or, or what praise is. Praise is the expression of gratitude for who God is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. That was the definition of praise that we used. We looked at the, the, the word barak in the Hebrew. It's the word praise. And so we saw that how God, when he commanded Israel, when they came out of Egypt and they were going into the promised land, he said, listen, when you come to a place where you inherit houses you didn't build and lands that you didn't cultivate and crops you didn't plant, when you come to a place and you're seeing the abundance in your life, he said, do not forget to praise the Lord your God. And we saw that that wasn't because God is some kind of dictator off in space making everybody bow down to him right? But rather, he is the source of our life. And, and when we start looking at things, you know, things are going great in our life, and we start looking at how great things are going in our lives, there's a temptation that happens. There, a temptation says, well, look what, what? Look what I've done. How many of us have done that? You see, God knew that Israel going in the promised land would face the very same thing. Humanity faces the very same thing. Get a little bit of prosperity, and the temptation arises, look what I've done. So he said, Israel, when you go into the promised land, don't forget to praise the Lord your God, remembering it's him who gives you the power to get wealth. Stay connected to me. Barak, it means to bow in adoration. 
not just a physical bowing of taking a knee, that's good, but also it's a posture of our heart. Are we allowing our hearts to bow before the presence of God? Are we seeing moments of prosperity in our lives, great moments in our lives? Are we not forgetting the Lord? In that moment, are we allowing our hearts to bow in adoration to Barak in adoration? And we saw also in week one that it wasn't God who was just saying, you do, right? I tell you do, and you do, and that's it. But it was God saying, do what I've already first done for you. Remember in the very beginning, it says when God fashioned man out of the dirt, fashioned Adam, right? And it says in that moment that he breathed life into me, fashioned together, the word barak is right there in the moment of creation. That when God created man, he baracked, he bowed in adoration over the crown of his creation. You say, you're saying God worships us? I would say, yes. Hear me. Now you're saying, well, wait a minute, that, you're saying we're elevated to the status of God? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it at all, but God does. The Bible says in Zephaniah 3.19 that he rejoices over you, and he sings songs of praises over you, that he adores you. And there's an element of adoration and worship that comes along with that. It's a mutual thing. He loves you just like your kids. Don't you love your kids most days? Most days, right? We do. We, we love our kids, but there's a, a swooning that happens when they're infants and they're babies and they've not yet told you no. <laughs> Amen? They've not yet told you no. They've not yet got mad at you. They've not said, I hate you. They've not stormed off. They haven't ran from you. When they're still in that state where they can do no wrong, don't you worship over them. <laughs> you swoon them, right? And so we saw that God is saying, hey, for us as humanity, we were created in the image and likeness of him, and we function better in life when we're attached to our source, and a way to stay connected to our source is to barak. It is to praise. It is to bow in adoration. Amen? Amen. That's week one. So if you missed it, you want to go back and watch it, right, or go back and listen to it. It's on the podcast as well. So week two, my bride preached, Pastor Kim preached a fantastic message last week, y'all. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, 22 through 26, that's where that reference is at. She talked about Paul and Silas and how Paul and Silas had gone and, and they were preaching the gospel. And it was the preaching of the gospel and the delivering of somebody from bondage, the demon-possessed woman, right, the girl. It was when, he, when they cast the demon out that they were arrested, right, for freedom. Right? They were arrested for bringing freedom. And thrown into a jail. They were beaten. They were stripped down their clothes. They were humiliated. They were locked in the inner dungeon in the darkest place of the jail cell. And, and we read the story. The Bible says that at the midnight hour, Paul and Silas, at the midnight hour, they were singing songs and hymns. They were singing songs and hymns. And scholars go back, and, and there's all sorts of hymns they pull from Psalms that they would say, well, these would be common songs that they would be singing, the songs that David wrote. The songs that David wrote were more than likely the songs, the songs that they were singing in that midnight hour. He, hear me, a ripple effect. Praise, our praise has an effect that ripples through time. So David's moment of praise is being echoed in Paul and Silas' moment in the prison. And they piggyback on the praise of David in that moment. And we saw something incredible happen as they were worshiping and they were praising. The praise that they gave shifted uh, atmosphere, right? It shifted their perspectives. It shifted the hearts of people there, and it shifted the atmosphere. It took pain, and, they, and it turned it to promise, deliverance. It took 
the prisoners who were once bound and delivered them. You remember when they praised and they were worshiping, it says, and the prison foundation did what, church? What did it do? It, it shook, right? It shook. It shook. <laughs> Why, does that name? Why does that word sound funny? Doesn't that word sound funny? Shook. The prison foundation was shaken, right? And it said, and the chains came off and the doors flung open. And you know just as well as I do that if you were in jail for a crime and all of a sudden the prison doors shook and the chains fell off and the doors flung open, you could not beat me out the door. Amen? You couldn't. I would not do well. I'd be right out the door. But here's something incredible that took place. Remember when the prison guard, now the prison guard goes and he's going to draw his sword and take his own life and Paul shouts out and yells at him. He says, no, wait, don't do it. And this is the most powerful part of that statement. We all are still here. What was it about Paul and Silas in that moment that took an entire prison and hit pause when freedom was open? Right? What was it about that? These guys cared more about what they were singing and more about what they were saying than the fact that their doors had flung open. Who sticks around? Amen? So David's praise echoed through time to Paul and Silas, and Paul and Silas's praise echoed in that moment. It rippled out to the jail cell, and lives were impacted so much so that the jailer gave his life to Christ, him and his household. And scholars believe that he was the, the founding member of the church of Ephesus. Think about this. Think about it. Praise shifts perspectives, hearts, and atmosphere. Today we're going to spend the next few moments going through some myths about praise and about worship. How many of you guys are raised in church? Anybody raised in church? Y'all are happy you raised in church for the most part? <laughs> some of us raised in church. How many of you guys have sat through service after service after service and heard song after song after song? Amen. We have. How many of you grew up in a particular denomination? who had some particularly weird things attached to their praise and worship services. Did anybody? Listen, I did. I wasn't raised in church, but I came into the church uh, later on in, in my teenage years, almost an adult, and, uh, and, and it was in the late 90s. And if anybody knows anything about the late 90s in, 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 in Christianity, particularly Pentecostalism, um, it was a weird time. It really was. It was a powerful time. God did some incredible things. But there was some weird stuff popping off in the name of worship. There was. And, and all these different types of myths began to circulate about what praise and worship really was, and, and they were false. They were false. And so I'm going to kind of unpack some of these myths. So if you're a note taker, we got five myths I want to unpack as we go through our worship, our, our message. So myth number one, listen to me. Myth number one. You were made to worship. Hear me. You might have even heard that preached. You might have even heard a great message preached on the fact that you were made to worship God. And, and, and you go through the book of Revelation and you see that the angels, they're bowing down and they're 24 hours a day, they're worshiping the Lord saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, right? Y'all remember that? And so we, we, we get this idea, this idea that you're made to worship, and you're told when you get to heaven, all you're going to do is worship God. Isn't that awesome? Well, depends. Do you like worship? 
or, or did you grow up in the church and get tired of hearing worship? Because on the way there, you might have a different perspective. What are we going to do in eternity? Just the same kumbaya over and over. You're made to worship is that, that line. Let me tell you why that's a myth. Because it, it devalues you. And it devalues your relationship with God. God didn't create you to worship. Did you see that in the book of Genesis when it says God created Adam and Eve and he created them? And it said that he created them, man and female, he created them, and then he made them worship. Did you see that? No. It was made popular, this, this phrase, you were created to worship, was made popular by a book that was written in the late 90s, early 2000s called The Purpose Driven Life. Great book, a lot of good stuff, but there also was stuff that was not so great. And, and that was one of them. And they used the scripture in Revelation chapter 4, verses 11, to highlight the fact that, that your existence is solely to worship God. It says, you are worthy, O Lord, O God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created them. Uh, you created what you pleased. And they leave it at that. All of that's true. God is worthy. That's why we spent some time worshiping him this morning. But it's not out of being made to. It's, it's an invitation to. I don't worship God because I have to. I worship God because I get to. Because that's what happens when you have a, a relationship. There's mutual benefits to it. God is love. Come on, somebody, right? We know that. God is love, right? And so, therefore, God is not lacking anything. Amen? Like, God's not missing something. Like, there's not a, a, a U-shaped piece of uh, missing from God's heart. God is not lacking anything. He's not missing anything. And let me just let you know, God is also not codependent. Amen? Come on, he's not codependent. In other words, he's not going, I need you to need me in order to feel valued. And the way that we kind of spin worship sometimes is we spin it from that angle as if God's codependent, like God needs our worship. God doesn't need our worship. God doesn't change whether I worship him or I don't worship him. Who changes, church, when you worship him? We do. What changes when we worship him? Our perspective changes. Our hearts change. Our atmosphere changes. But it doesn't shake God. He's not lacking, he's not codependent, and he's not a dictator. He's not. If your idea that, that when you go before God and you get to heaven and you stand before God, if your idea is that God's going to look at you and say, bow down and worship me now, that is not the image of God because the Bible tells us very clearly. Scripture tells us God is what, church? He's love, right? And love is patient and kind and not envious and not self-seeking. Come on. He's not self-seeking. How many of you guys would agree that God knows how to parent a little bit better than us? Amen? Don't you think that God knows how to parent a little bit better than us? Come on. And if you have kids or you've been around kids, it's easier to say if you had kids, because you've been around kids, some kids are not great to be around. But if you've had kids, you understand, like, there's nothing, for the most part in us, there's nothing that crosses your mind that says, I'm just going to ruin your life today. Is that a true statement? We don't do that. 
that if our a child comes to us and says, I'm hungry, we're going to give them a rock or a serpent. That's what Scripture said, right? He said, which of you, if you guys are being evil men, because we all got some evil stuff floating around in our heads, right? If you guys being evil men know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more your heavenly Father. That he is a good father. He is a good parent. Could you imagine how odd it would be? You guys with me this morning? I'm making you think this morning. Some of y'all are looking at me like that. Please don't look at me like that. How odd would it be if I went to your house and you, you had this moment during your day where you said, all right, kids, it's time to worship daddy. And you sat down in your recliner and you made your kids all come over and kneel down before you and say, you're the greatest daddy in the world. You're the greatest daddy in the world. You're the greatest daddy in the world. He said, is that wrong? <laughs> well, it's odd. Amen. It's, it's, it's a little odd. You, we, we get this idea that worshiping before God, listen, that worshiping before God is a made-to-do thing, not a reaction to what happens when you come before the very presence of love himself. It's a response to being in the presence of love. The love who looks at you and says, I'm not counting your sins against you. I've loved you from the beginning. I've loved you to the end. I've loved you all in between. When you screwed everything up, I still loved you. It's the response. Well, doesn't the scripture say that there comes a time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord? Yes, out of a response of coming face to face with love. If God's making you worship him, then it's, he's not love. Love always invites. Always invites. He's not lacking. The truth is, it's not that you were made to worship. You get to worship. The truth is, is you were created for relationship. Did you hear me? that you were created for a relationship. God created Adam and Eve in the beginning, placed him in the beautiful garden, and the Bible says that he came walking with him in the cool of the day. Relationship. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Relationship. So God... I mean, so worship is, you, the first myth is you're not created to worship. You were created for relationship. I love this. Like, I have this picture. I'm going to show you just a second. Not yet. Don't put it up yet. It's a little post-it note that I have carried around. I have this, and I will never, ever, ever throw it away. When my wife and I, we planted the church in San Antonio, Texas, about, man, gosh, 8, 7, 2013. <laughs> Math. And so... 2013, we planted a church in San Antonio, right, in our living room from scratch. It was crazy. And one night, I had this office that was based in this alcove in our house, like this little loft area in the house that I had, right? And I had my desk set up there and some post notes and some markers and things like that. And uh, my oldest son, who's now 14, I, I think he, he was much younger, like seven-ish maybe. 
He was younger. And he was a kid, little, little kid. And um, I remember waking up one morning really early to go to the gym, right? And so I walk out, and I'm, I'm meti- meticulous, y'all. I like everything has to be neat. I got my desk, I don't ever leave my desk messy. My desk is everything's put right where it's supposed. Everything has a place. Amen? Hey, y'all, amen? Everything has a place, y'all. And so everything's clean. Everything has a place. And I'm walking out to get ready to go to the gym. And as I'm walking, getting ready to turn down, I notice something is out of place on my desk. My post-it notes are out of place on my desk. And a pen is laying not where I put it at before I went to bed. And so the first response was, hey, that kid done got into my post-it notes. And so I walk over to the post-it notes. And when I walk over to it, this is what I see. Can you bring that up? You got that post-it note there? There it is. This is what I see on November 24th when he wrote this. He said, dear dad, I love you. You are good and you love me from Caden. That's what worship is. That's what worship is. When we come to worship God, it's not to beg him not to do anything to us. It's to celebrate who he is to us. And my son sat right there and it be- I cried. Nobody else in the house. I cried. Because here I am, I'm like, that boy done messed my post-it notes up. And he left me a love song. I love you. You are good. And he, this is the awesome part. He didn't even question it. He said, and you love me. I kept that. You know why I kept it? Because he got older and he's 14 now. <laughs> That's why I kept it. I need that reminder. Sometimes I've shown him, I said, you remember when you did this? He's like, no. I said, but you did. You see that? You love me. You love me. So worship is, you're not just created to worship. You're created to be in a relationship. The second myth is this, is that worship is really a one-way communication. And what's what we were just talking about, that worship is just you talking to God, you celebrating God. But worship is not one way. It's not just what we do to God. It's what God also does to us. It's two-way communication. And if you go back into the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, and you can look there, we'll actually go to 3, and, and this is the birthplace of the church. Man, the Spirit of God is moving. People are coming into the church by the droves, and they're, they're trying to figure out infrastructure on the fly. Let me tell you, this was a fast-growing organization, the church, and had no structure. Have you ever been in an organization that was fast-growing and no structure? Amen. Go back. We're there? Acts 13. Okay. Acts 13. All right, there we go. And it says, among the prophets and the teachers of the church at Antioch in Syria, right, were Barnabas Simon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Impetus, right, and Saul. One day, all of these men were what church? They were what? They were worshiping. All of these men were worshiping the Lord, and they were fasting. I can get down with the first part. It's that second part I struggle with, y'all. I've done it. I prefer to worship, though. But these guys, they were worshiping, and they were fasting. And it says this, and the Holy Spirit said, I want you to see that connection. They were worshiping, and they were fasting, and what? The Holy Spirit said. Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I have called them to, right? Think about this. Worshiping and fasting and the Spirit of God said, this is two-way communication. Do you know what else worship is? Worship is prayer. It is prayer. The very next verse says, go 
Go down to verse 3. It says, and so after more fasting and what? Prayer. They're using worship and prayer interchangeably. And so after more fasting and prayer, after more fasting and worshiping, the men laid hands on them and they sent them on their way. That worship is a two-way communication. Sometimes when I'm having a hard time figuring out what I need to do, what the next step is, I'll throw worship music on. I'll just worship. And oftentimes it's in that time of worship that my mind is set straight and I'm able to hear from God. Did the worship make God talk to me? The answer to that question is what, church? No. The worship set my mind straight so I can hear from the Lord. He's always talking to you, don't you know? The Lord's always speaking to you. Every day he's speaking to you. He's always talking to you. Sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes it's really annoying. (laughs) Usually when you don't want to do what he's asking you to do. But he's always speaking. When you get into your car, when you leave church day and you get in your car and you turn on 103 Jams, you know what's going to happen? Act like you don't. You know what's going to happen? You're going to turn the radio on. You're going to dial the, tune, the, the, dial to the, to the station, and you're going to hear what? Music. Right? You'll hear music. Let me ask you a question. Did that music start playing? Did the, the radio company start, the station start broadcasting that signal when you turn your radio on? Or was the signal always broadcasting? Always. You just tuned in and could hear it, and that's what worship does. It's two-way communication. So that's the second myth. The third myth, worship, now hear me, worship is the weapon we use to fight our enemies. Now, wait a minute. How is that a myth? Because don't we sing that one song? Don't we sing that one song? This is how I fight my battles. Right? But what does it say? This is how I fight my battles. Does not say, this is how I fight my enemies. This is how I kill my enemies. My weapon is my praise, which is true. But it's not how you kill your enemies, it's how you fight your battles. It's how you fight your battles. It's how you fight the things you go through on a regular basis. Think about it. If we ha- Listen, if you have somebody at work and you're like, oh, I know how to take care of you, and you're going to go lock yourself in your office and you're going to start worshiping the Lord, hoping that somehow one of those words is going to pierce the heart of your coworker and kill him. That's not how that works. That's not how it works. Think about this. Our worship, we are worshiping and we are praising the God of love. Amen? The God that keeps no records of being wrong. Amen? The God who loves his enemies to his death. Who is the expression of love. He's not going to harm your enemies. Just so we're clear. You're praying for God to take care of your enemy. God, get him, Lord. He ain't going to get him like the way you think he's going to get him. Amen? This is why you're not God. Amen? That's why I'm not God. Oftentimes, when we're worshiping in our battles, it is us that is affected the most, right? It's the weapon for my battle. And it's really not the enemy, but the inner me that gets dealt with. That's, somebody else is not your worst problem. 
Amen. It's us. It's the inner me, not my enemy, that's impacted most. Shifts atmospheres, remember, shifts hearts and brings about freedom. Another myth is that the more expressive my worship is, the more spiritual I am. Listen, I love the, the environment and the culture I grew up. I grew up in the AG church, y'all, Some of the God church. That's, I mean, when I gave my life to Christ at 16 years old, that's the denomination I went into. I became an ordained minister through them. And, uh, and for years, I love the fact that early on I got exposed to expressive worship. But just because I can do the Pentecostal two-step, just because I can run laps, just because I can do cardio when I sing, just because I lift my hands, just because I clap and I can sing on key, clap on the one and two or the three and four, does not make me more spiritual than the person who is actually sitting there during that worship time, meditating and allowing the Spirit of God to work on their heart. Your expression does not equal more spirituality. You understand? I, you just heard me. I'm all for all of that. I love clapping. I love when you guys clap and sing during praise and worship. I'm not going to lie. It makes it a little bit easier to sing when you guys got smiles on your faces and you're clapping and you're lifting. I love that. It ain't for me. It makes it easier for me. But it's not for me. Sometimes I just got to close my eyes because sometimes I know some of you guys are in a moment and your heart's worshiping God. You just, your face hasn't been notified yet. I'm not judging you. (laughs) You understand, though? Great. Lift your hands. Why do you lift your hands? It's a point of surrender. That's all it is. Why do we lift our hands when we worship? It's a point of surrender. It's literally getting your hands out of your pants and saying, look, I'm just going to worship. I'm just going to worship. I'm letting it go. I I have picks in my pocket. Right? I always have a pick in my pocket. You never know when someone might have a guitar and want me to leave worship randomly in the restaurant. But I have picks in my pocket. And if I keep my hand in my pocket, I will play with it nonstop. So I'm going to worship my hands out. It's just a moment of surrender. It allows me to focus and connect. It doesn't make you more spiritual or not. It's just a moment of surrender. Some of us, we got to work up to that point. That's great. Work up to it. Some of us, we got hands up. Not afraid of our sweat stains or pit stains at all. We just hands up. That's why we're dark shirts. Hands up. That's great. Some of us are like trying it out. We're here. That's cool too. Clap. Great. Clap on beat. Better. Right? (laughs) Sing. Awesome. Sing on key. Even better. But it doesn't make you more spiritual than the next person. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of, it's an expression of what's going on in your heart. All right, last one. Worship or praise, listen, worship and praise are just the songs we sing before the service and the preaching begin. It's not the important part of the service. It's not. It's not the important part. That's what they, that's what they say. It's not important. It's just the songs you sing beforehand. But they're songs with purpose. Do you know do you know that the early church did more singing than they did preaching? Did you know that? Do you know why the early church did more singing than they did preaching? Because they couldn't read. By and large, the early church, they were illiterate. 
And so it wasn't like they all had Bibles and they could go around and say, you know what Scripture stuck out to me the most today? You know what Scripture stuck out to me the most today? What they had is they had messages. They had heard somebody preach. They heard somebody preach. They heard somebody preach. And they said, you know what the, Paul, the Apostle Paul said? I heard Pastor so-and-so who, who heard Apostle so-and-so who heard Evangelist so-and-so who heard. What, this is what they said. And they would share a word and then they would sing. And do you know why they sang? Well, they couldn't read. But it took the doctrine and the theology, and it wrote it on their hearts. It's an easy way for me to remember how good God is. It's an easy way for me to remember what he's done for me. Isn't that why we teach our kids how to do things? By putting, thing, putting songs to them, right? Why do you sing the ABCs? Y'all, why do you sing the ABCs? If I start it, y'all going to continue it, Right? Because I'll just start, A, B, C, D. Don't, don't go, but it's in your head right now. And you keep going right now. You're welcome. But why do we teach our kids to sing the ABCs? Because when you add information to music, it writes it on your hearts. Actually, information plus emotion will write things on your hearts. And so worship is designed. It's geared to communicate doctrine. It's geared to communicate theology. It's also geared to stir up the atmosphere. To cre- this is true. To create the atmosphere. To create an emotional response. Not emotionalism. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Not emotionalism, but to create an emotional response. Because what's happening in that moment is it's writing that stuff on your heart. And do you know what happens? You have a great worship service, a worship time, and then you sit down and you hear a great message like the one you're hearing right now. Amen. And, and you're hearing a great message. And that gets, that gets lodged into your heart. And you'll go on throughout your day, and you'll have a correlation between what you were singing and what you were hearing, and it begins to help bring about change. It's the praise effect. How many of you guys sing songs when you leave church? Like a song we do here, you'll start singing it throughout the week. Anybody? Some of you are like, my kids sing it. My daughter. I love it. A couple weeks ago, JoJo's walking around the house. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And she's just gone. This is how I fight my battles. My, all my kids have done that. I love it. They get a little anxious about something, and all of a sudden they start singing because they remembered it's that moment that shifted their hearts, their atmosphere. So those are the five myths that you were made to worship. No, you were created for relationship. Myth number two was worship is one-way communication. No, it's not. It's two-way communication. Myth number three is worship is the weapon we use to fight our enemies. No, it's the weapons we use to fight our battles, right? And oftentimes, it's not the inner me. It's the enemy. It's the inner me, right? The next myth, the fourth myth was the more expressive my worship, the more spiritual I am. No, right? And the fifth one is worship and praise are just songs we sing before we preach. It's not. Last thing. You ever heard of an artist, a singer? Her name is Lauren Daigle. Have you ever heard of Lauren Daigle? She wrote a song called You What? You Say. Remember that? So she, wrote, she was a worship leader. Wrote a song called You Say, which is a beautiful song about God's faithfulness, right? In 2018, it was released, and it charted on the U.S. Christian sh- uh, Songs chart at number two in 2018. Is that unexpected? Not really. You go, oh, it's a great song. It's a Christian song. 
It charted number two on the Christian pop charts in, in 2018. That's expected. But you know what's not common is in 2019, that song topped the charts or went and charted in Australia, Belgium, Canada, China, France, Iceland, China. France, Iceland, Mexico, Netherlands, New Zealand, Scotland, Switzerland, the U.K. It hit the U.S. Billboard's Top 100, U.S. Adult Contemporary Music, U.S. Top 40, U.S. Christian Songs, and U.S. Mainstream Top 40 in 2019. That's why you can turn on just about any radio station and hear it. And do you know what's amazing about that? As all she did in 2018 was drop a rock in a pond and those ripples are being felt all over the world. Her praise became her evangelism. It's the same way with you. Paul and Silas's praise became their evangelism. You don't have to figure out the whole Romans road to salvation and memorize a bunch of scriptures. Just sing a song. Someone will ask you, what does that mean? And you have an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Amen? Let me if ever you would, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to wrap. We're going to wrap up with some worship. Father, you are so good, and I thank you for every person who's here right now. And I pray, God, as we wrap this time of, of, of service up, Father, as we wrap this message up, as this worship time wraps up, Father, that these words that we heard today, these words that we sing today, God, would just resonate in our hearts. And so, Father, I thank you for each person right now. For, for ministering, for touching our hearts and revealing your love in an incredible way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may stand up on your feet. We'll close the service out.